Welcome to Media Voices, everybody. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. This season, we're doing something slightly different, and every episode is going to be an in-depth exploration of a topic that we'll be exploring more fully in our Media Moments 2022 report. And as part of that, we're going to be bringing in a guest for every single episode. So this week, we are delighted to be joined by Chris Jansen, who is head of local news global partnerships at Google. And Chris, I believe you were a former journalist as well. This is true. So I, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, nice to meet you all. And for all of you out there listening, the, uh, shared with our host that this is my first ever podcast and they <sighs> promise they've treated me nice. They'll treat me nicely. So <laughs> we'll be gentle. We'll let's be hold gentle. them to that. Uh, so, so yeah, my, my, um, my university degree is actually in broadcast journalism. And so oh, I nice. started my career in radio news. Uh, so I, uh, I was a news director for a small company that, um, I had three radio stations in one building, all in <laughs> each in one tiny room. So I would run back and forth between the rooms to do the news on the uh, on the air. And so I, I had some very early lessons on how <laughs> hard it is to do original reporting on the local level, um, especially when you're a small business and there are lots of other things to do in a small business, um, and and everybody has to has to pitch in and do their their part. So I I remember those days. I mean, I I remember that it's hard to be a small organization, number one, Mm. and it's hard to be a small news organization. And so that's the, from an ethos perspective, that helps me in my role as we contemplate our work with the local news ecosystem uh, specifically. So yeah, some, some good memories. Good memories that I keep alive. Good, mem- good memories, stressful memories, you know, all bundled together. That seems yes. to be the local news experience. But as we mentioned, this is going to be a topic we're going to be exploring more fully in media moments. Esther, I believe that the lucky, lucky listeners can actually pre-register this year for that. Is that right? You can. So you don't have to remember to download it on November the 30th. Um, you can pre-register to receive it as soon as it goes live over at voices.media slash mm22. Perfect. And we do want to mention that this season and the Media Moments 2022 report are sponsored by our friends Pool. Pool are the membership and subscription suite and all-in-one platform for digital publishers to convert, manage, and retain their members and subscribers. Do stay tuned because we're going to be telling you how to reach out to them at the end of the episode. But as we mentioned, this week we're going to be talking about local news. This is actually the first time we've done it. Why would you say we're doing it this year? The way things are changing at the local level is interesting in itself when you compare it to like national national news. I think there's a bit of a resurgence going on. Maybe people are paying more attention. Maybe local news is starting to do different things than the national. So I just think there's a there's more to talk about maybe than there was before. I think in the UK we had uh, oh god, the, Ken the, Cross, the, Ken Cross yeah, report. Ken Cross report. And I think that made people think, but was there any activity or action after that? I'm not so sure. But now I think we can actually talk about some real life examples. And that's much more interesting than talking about this sort of theory in a government report. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen some new players coming as well. But Chris, from your perspective, what would you say have been some of those trends around local news that you've seen flourish and really come to fruition over the last year? One of the big ones for me is evolution of business models. So if I if I speak about the United States specifically for just a moment, we it's it's a couple of years now that local newspaper publishers have been uh, telling us that their number one priority is to drive consumer revenue, namely subscriptions revenue, and uh, advertising is a fast follow to that. And so it's been interesting to watch that evolve. That story has not changed much, uh, but we're we're starting to see other things come into the. Uh, 
well, starting to see is, is the wrong way to describe it, but I, I think they're being perhaps talked about more. And uh, the, those include um, any other kind, any other way to support a local news organization from a revenue perspective. And I think it brings up really interesting things like contributions, direct contributions, not just a subscription-based uh, contribution, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, the whole concept of looking at membership models for a local news player. I, I just think there maybe maybe we're reaching this point where people really are understanding the importance of the local news providers in their uh, communities. And uh and how important it is for them to directly support them somehow. We think a lot about these type of things at Google. I mean, our goal is to be um, helpful in any regard related to this. We, we genuinely believe in the, the, the criticality, how, how necessary local news is for communities and society, and we seek to be supportive in, in some way. So at the top of the episode, I was going to bring up the fact that, you know, although we're going to be talking about local news, what we're equally uh, talking about is the lack of local news as a result of trends that we've seen over the past couple of years. So, Chris, before we move on to go through some of the media moments from the year, where do you think that uh, recognition of the criticality of local news is coming from? Is it from people seeing, you know, the effects of a lack of it, you know, from those news deserts, or is it just because we are getting better as an industry at communicating the, how vital local news is, not just for the you know the media industry as a whole, but for the communities who it serves? Yeah, so this is certainly me search, not research. You know, n equals one, but this is kind of based on my um, my observations. I think it's I'm all so of the above. Stealing that me search, that is brilliant. <laughs> oh, I did. Oh, please, I didn't. I didn't invent it. I stole it from somebody else, though. I don't remember who. I love that. Um, it's a circle of theft. It's fine. It, it, I could use right. that. I could use that to to justify anything I say. <laughs> <laughs> Steal like an artist, oh, as God. it were. <laughs> I, I think there has been a. Well, I mean, let's face it, there have been some extremely interesting things to uh, not to be flip about it, but from a, a political landscape perspective that has happened, have been happening in many, many parts of the world. Um, uh, COVID, I think, certainly uh, was a, had a major impact on uh, driving people to their local communities, you know, wanting to know what's going on globally, but wanting to know what's going on in uh, you know, down the street, mm. that type of thing. So I, I think it's a... I think there have been some messages that we as a news ecosystem have been delivering effectively. We've tried to play a part by doing support local news campaigns um, from from the Google side to evangelize the importance. And there's still folks out there who don't realize that it costs money to produce news, right? Uh, That it it requires investment. Um, And there's that dynamic because I think most people view their news as kind of a human right. It's like, mm. of course, I should have access to news, uh, and it doesn't occur to them what goes into producing it. So, I th- I think having that discussion more is is uh, producing fruit. That sounds like a very awkward way to phrase it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but is um, is is having some uh, some impact here. And so, perhaps that's what we're seeing. Nice. I, I'm so glad I asked that question because that is such an optimistic way to start this conversation because it implies that a lot of the worth that people are placing in local news now is based on recognition of the good work that they've been doing. And I think that where we've seen a lot of that good news is in the local news startups. Esther, where have we really seen some of those startups come into their own over the past 12 months? Where? I mean, all around the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, in, um, specifically in how they're dealing with the uh, with their audiences. Yeah, I think it... it it seems to be that as as sort of uh, quote the the main a lot of the mainstream organisations and legacy organisations have pulled back, 
the the same kind of need has been there and so you've seen media organizations spring up around those around those needs and i think what's what has changed in the last couple of years which wasn't so easy in the past is that the infrastructure to set up your own media business it's easier than ever um so substack actually they they put a million dollar commitment to support local journalists launching publications just email newsletters so you know you don't need to pay anything to substack you just log on to their platform and send an email newsletter and, and you start to become a local source of news. Um, obviously, there's a lot more. If you want to do it properly, there's a lot more that goes into it. You need to you know, have rigorous reporting and standards. <laughs> <laughs> but it's if so we spoke to a number of people at the start of the year for a special episode on um, US local news startups. And a lot of them was a lot of them were sort of ex um, ex Tribune, ex Alden employees that increasingly were finding that they couldn't do the reporting they really wanted to that really mattered to the community. Um, so they a lot of them jacked it in and ended up just starting up their own um, publications. And they're, they're doing really well because the, the tech you need is absolutely minimal mm. and you can start generating revenue really quickly with a lot of the membership support schemes and things going on. Um, you know, again, advertising infrastructure is very, very easy to pick up and plug in these days. Um, a lot of them were saying there are, you know, there are business challenges as a learning curve going from a journalist to a business person, but it is easier than ever. And this is a blessing and a curse. It's easier than ever to start up your own publication mm. and to start to fill that local news gap. And I can't wait to talk about my media moment later because it ties into that. <laughs> and it's not good. And I, I actually think that that infrastructure piece is really interesting because if we, so I spoke right at the beginning of the year, February, I think, with Ryan Heafy at uh, mm. Six AM City. And a big part of what they did, because they grew really quickly. You know, they ended up in like 24 cities over, I don't know, 18 months, a couple of years. And a big part of what they did was the playbook that they produced. And it's exactly what Esther's saying. It's that proper, as long as you've got that technology, the baseline in place, what's really interesting about 6M City is they were actually putting human beings on the mm. ground, and I think so. So really are Axios. That, it's, it's the same Axios yeah, model. Same you, you just need a newsletter, newsletter and a reporter. Um, but some, and obviously, we've seen some good numbers out of Axios, and particularly Axios Local, there, which hit a million email subscribers in June of this year. We can probably assume that's much higher now. So, Chris, from your perspective, from the kind of the, the tech perspective, mm. is that democratization of the tech that allows you know mass communication around a topic like you know local news is that something that has gone hand in hand with rising propensity for people to pay for digital news and increasing habituation from the public of paying for things online is that something that you think has kind of had a, a, a I was going to say a glow up uh, that has had a sort of a um, an effect on the on the ability of these local news startups to you know generate enough revenue um, I mean, I, I love this part of the conversation because I, um, Esther, what you've surfaced is something that um, that I and we at my company think a lot about. If if we think about a, my perception is, or my observation is that somebody who's going to start a new news organization, a hyper-local news organization, maybe it's one, two, three people, they're usually doing that from a place of passion and personal interest. They're not doing it because they want to learn how to run a content management system, right? They, they need technology. Not book. <laughs> they, they need technology solutions that just work so that they can focus on doing what they got into it for, which is producing uh, journalism for their communities. So I, I think this is a really exciting area. And, and if we think about 
all each of us as a consumer, we're so used to technology being seamless nowadays. Like we get, you know, we get annoyed when there's not an easy workflow to make an online purchase. Like if, if it's more than a few clicks. So we're the societies are becoming conditioned to expect easy workflows from a technical perspective. And so I think that is beneficial to, uh, to news publications such as in their uh, subscription workflows to have tech that is easy, makes it easy for the user and is a, a low lift from an engineering perspective for the, uh, for the publisher. Yeah. I will say I was actually reading something um, a couple of months ago about, so, so that's, that's great. And that in theory should mean that people all over the world can start off their own news publications. Um, but when we put this together, I was trying to find examples of startups in other, in other countries. And it's actually quite difficult to find. And there was a report earlier in the year that suggested that actually the, the philanthropic element in the US is, is far, far greater. And um, a lot of these startups will have, um, you know, they'll be, they'll be quite reliant on gifts or, or donations from people. Um, and that that sort of, I suppose we, we call it kind of the billionaire financing here in the UK, a, a much smaller scale that kind of people with lots, lots of money wanting to put some of that towards local news is definitely not something we see replicated in many other places in the world. And I don't know if that gives the US a bit of a kickstart or if um, are people just not telling the stories of people in Europe, Europe and elsewhere, I don't know. I'm also not sure that there's the same news deserts. Yeah, it, in other um, places. Um, we need to flag that. God, you know, I so I was in South Africa what a month ago, six weeks ago, uh, Media Twenty Four's internal conference, um, and I spoke to some people that were doing local papers, and they're still doing local papers. Um, and, and yeah, it was interesting to have a conversations with journalists because there was that kind of mixed thing of really proud to be doing the what they're doing at the local level, but also thinking, well, actually, it's the shopping offers that are <laughs> that are in my paper that are getting people to pick it up, and that you know, it's ever it's always been like that that idea that people pick up their local paper because of the classifieds or because of whatever. So that's still there in some markets mm. in a way that it's just not in the States and probably not in the UK anymore. Um, I, I mean, I think that could be fascinating what these different markets look like, but I guess we don't we don't have that information. Right it, I think Esther's, Esther's right as well in, uh, you know, it's it's genuinely hard to find information about this. And I was reading a report from uh, one Ifra about table stakes Europe. And they were saying that a lot of the case, in a lot of cases across Europe, what happens is that some of the bigger newsrooms almost invest in partnerships with new startups to fill what they see as a, a little gap, but it does not equate in any way to those news deserts. What I think would be interesting is to talk about what it actually means to have a paper, you know, the UK, say, in a, in a local area, compared to what it used to be a couple of years ago, because we know that the cuts at places like Reach basically mean that they do not have individuals on the ground anymore. They, they've all gone back to those super hubs. So Reach the result, is trying uh, to change that. Reach yeah, they are, but it's, has the damage been done, I suppose, is the question, because well, I have yeah, not heard absolutely. I have not heard a single good word said about most of the, of the Reach no, no, sites. No, I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, but think about what people talk about, kind of the local news experience on websites in the UK. Yeah, okay, but that's universally a thing. That's not a content uh, But uh, there's another regional or local publisher in the UK, beginning with N, um, who I have heard to well, it said that they're not investing in local journalism on the ground. Why would you? Well, why would you censor well, yourself well, on that one? That's so know. weird. Well, because I've <laughs> seen some really, really harsh coverage. Mm. 
We're aware of an example out of Romania, actually, that uh, was a participant in in one of our Google News Initiative startup labs, and they do actually have some optimism for uh, user donations. Mm-hmm. So the um, the the name of the publication, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, is um, Atlatso Air Daily. And they have used their experience from the Startups Lab to uh, launch a framework for uh, donation campaigning. So they have opted to go with a not-for-profit model, and they have a system set up now for period uh, donation campaigning. They've also focused on what many publications are focused on, which is uh, subscriber growth, Um, experimenting with new strategies there, and... uh, thankfully uh, getting some value out of the GNI startups lab in that uh, pursuit. So there are some, there are some examples. And absolutely. We've seen some of that uh, replicated in the UK as well. I think when we interviewed Joshi Herman for the Manchester mill, if you're not necessarily doing it for huge profits or for, you know, to keep your shareholders happy, you can deliver really, really good local news. As you were speaking, what was coming up for me is I, I think about a small organization, you know, they're, they're starting that organization probably not because they want to become rich. Right there, um, what they're really seeking to do is provide a service that's meaningful to them, and they want to cover their costs and hopefully make a decent living in that pursuit. So, I um, that's certainly a that's certainly different than a much larger company that might be a public company that has an obligation to shareholders to um, to drive profits. So it's it's a it's. It's tough to know if those worlds will ever, will ever come closer together or whether they will. Um, it, perhaps it's more likely that they'll always remain pretty separate cohorts of, um, of publishers. Relatedly, my question was, so we saw a couple of years ago The Overtake, which was a Leeds-based local news um, startup in the UK. They closed down, and part of the problem was that they had hit that critical point where they could not scale. They weren't getting enough money in advertising and sponsorships to allow them to grow at the pace they wanted. So they sort of said, well, look, we served our mission for a couple of years and now we're calling it quits. Is at this point, can you even do, can you grow a, a local news startup to that point? Yeah, so I have so many thoughts on this. I'll, I'll offer just a couple. Um, the I, I was just actually talking with a US-based publisher literally yesterday who was talking about it comes down to a question of addressable audience, doesn't it? Right. So if you're if you're a local publisher and you theoretically have a addressable audience that's only so large, like people who are going to be interested in that community's content, and is that large enough to sustain that publication? And uh, one one way that a U.S. publisher is thinking about it is truly returning to the new you know, the newspaper model. The newspaper was the hub, right? Mm-hmm. You would go there to your point for um, classified and all other types of of content and can you recreate that in a digital experience to truly make the uh, local news website the hub for the community where they can have access to things at a national or global level that may interest them as well. So I I think that's a really interesting path for local organizations. I I hate the phrase horses for courses because it doesn't work in my accent. (laughs) One more time. (laughs) <laughs> horses for courses. Thank you very much. Now purple burglar um, alarm, please. <laughs> purple burglar alarm. There's some really focused community thing, you know, community publications which I think are there with a mission. Um, it's very specific to the community that they serve. Then there's other ones like this. Well, we mentioned um, Six AM City, which is a is almost stepping back from news. In the in the sense of hard news, mm. 
or investigative news and and just to, and doing community news so sports or charities or you know act, activism in the sense of getting people involved rather than in in campaigning um and, and I think each community in that sense will come up with their own answer. And some of those communities will be tiny and some of them will be huge. You know, if it depends what we really mean by local. I think that's a very different thing in the States than it is in it, the it, UK. It 100% is, yeah, yeah. You know, Chicago, what, what's is it? Chicago's Sun Times has just gone non-profit and I've dropped a paywall. On, on one level, that's, that's, a lo- that's local press. Uh, which, but it's very different from the likes of um, the the kind of Walthamstow Echo or whatever it is <laughs> that that prints once or twice a month, and you pick up in your local grocery store. Yeah, but the they, you know, but, but they but they all have their place. And Axios is different again because Axios is Axios local is doing sort of hard news, but at a local level, at a city level. Mm. And I think all of these things are in the mix now in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been five years ago exactly because of the, the, the tech that Chris has talked about. I don't think it's all about, well, I say this all the time, I don't think it's all about money. You know, I think, what again, what Chris said about the passion is, is at the root of so much of what people are doing. But long term, it's the sustainability that comes. And sustainability is a two-way street, right? If you've got loads of money, if money is no object, then everything's sustainable. But if money is is tight, then you cut your cost to fit. So you do end up with a, a, a publishing organization that only has two or three people on the ground. But maybe that's enough because your scale is 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 determined by how much money you can make. Well, I suppose that is the key point, isn't it? Is is actually having enough people on the ground to serve the local community, yeah. because part mm. parcel part of the problem with the UK in terms of its local news provision is that a lot of the cases we don't have journalists, you know, with boots on the ground, and that's why some Absolutely. of those local startups are really, really interesting. Um, when I was doing some research for this, I thought it was really interesting to find out that there's been some developments like that across Europe, um, particularly where local news intersects with state support, which obviously was one of the potential recommendations of the Cancross report. So Digital News Report 22 notes that uh, in Denmark, three news organizations launched new local news services um, in 2021, with a total of 75 journalists being hired across uh, three titles to fill those gaps. And what I thought was really, really interesting is Finland. Obviously, kind of we we know that they're a bit of an outlier in terms of who pays for news. But thirty nine percent of those who pay for news say they're paying for regional or local news online, which, as far as I know, completely dwarfs the proportion of people who are paying for digital local news either in the US or the UK. Press, from your point of view, working with the the uh, digital news initiative internationally, that must get really complicated how do you how do you sort of identify projects that are relevant locally but also relevant internationally yeah it's it's been it's such a interesting and fun part of my career to become involved with what is truly a global effort you know not something that is focused solely on my um the country in which i reside the u.s and it uh what we've observed is there are certainly common themes across the across the globe as it relates to journalism, but then there's a great deal of differentiation and and localization uh, country by country. So our approach is to try to deeply understand 
right? We, um, if, if we take it from like a, an engineering standpoint, I always tell my team default to requirements gathering, ask questions, like try, un- understand what's, what's needed, what are the challenges? And so that's our general approach with the Google News Initiative as well. We know a lot, but we don't assume that we know everything. So we're, we're always asking what's, what's needed. And when we try to do that at scale, it's, so we, it's difficult to connect with everybody, right? It's uh, we find that there are some organizations who may not be aware of the resources that are available to them through uh, through our work and through the work of many other organizations. But we'll do things like um, you'll see us do what we call innovation challenges, where we will put out kind of a presenting problem and say, "Here is a uh, here's a challenge. Who has some ideas and plans for how to address this?" Um, and it's an open application process, and then we will provide funding for those uh, projects. That and, we, and we're always asking for outputs from that. So those projects may directly benefit that one organization primarily, but we expect a playbook out of that, mm. so that learnings can be shared as widely as uh, as possible. So it's it's not an easy thing to solve, but I think it's important um, to simply recognize the challenge, as you've stated it, Chris. Like the to not assume that the uh, the challenges are identical uh, country by country. I think that playbook approach is really interesting. That you can actually. You know, there's a process that you can start here and end up here uh, and solve some of these problems. You know, it's- yeah, and I, I think there is, a, my, I mean, my hope, our hope is that there is a lot of stuff that is common. So if we if we take subscriptions, for example, the, the, the principle of presenting a user with subscription options and moving them through a workflow that to hopefully, you know, they convert and they become a subscriber. That probably doesn't look too different uh, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, the digital advertising model is relatively similar across the world. I mean, certainly subject to local laws and some variation there. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a website with some ads on it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there are a lot of learnings that uh, that can be shared broadly in, in that regard. And um our approach has been, we, we like to do cohort-based learning, so we'll do subscription labs and ad transformation labs where we, we have a group of publishers who go through the experience. So they're, they're, they're being lifted by the content, but then they're lifting one another along the way by constantly sharing learnings. So going on then to our key media moments from 2022, which we always like to do to sort of like spark a... I suppose, a, uh, or rather highlight a couple of moments that we feel have been pivotal in the year. Um, mine is that the Digital News Report had a great data point uh, this year about the disparity between younger and older people when it comes to local news. So it found that there's a 19 percentage point difference between under and over 35s when it actually comes to uh, being interested in local news, i.e. news about my region, city, or town. That's how they found it. And that's the largest disparity of any topic mentioned. You know, so it... It dwarfed interest difference in sport, in you know charity endeavors, and so it seems to me that there is a big challenge to be addressed here in actually appealing to younger audiences, particularly when it comes to local hard news. Uh, Peter, do you think that's been borne out with what we've seen in the UK? I haven't. I haven't seen any specific on the on the local end of things, so I don't know that. If if you, I was going to say kids, no, it gets me, me slapped. You know, I'm technically still in that under thirty five. I'm not a kid by any means. I, I, you and Esther, um, but I think younger people. 
I think, well, I think they get their local news in different places. I think mm. they do turn the social media into Facebook and to, well, not, probably not Facebook, actually, probably TikTok. Um, but I think it becomes about their cohort rather than going to, uh, you know, my mom still buys her local evening paper. It's a town of about 150,000 people, probably less now. Uh, she still buys it. Um, and they've been, you know, <laughs> our generation bought that because they looked at births, deaths, and marriages as much as anything else. They knew people around about it and, you know, they still buy it. Um, I'm not sure that kind of tie to your local area is the same as it used to be because it's probably the social media. Yeah. Um, you your know, cohort looking, is now no longer tied to geography. Yeah, it's like exactly. online. And if you're looking for somewhere to eat or somewhere to go at night or something to do or a sports club or whatever, you'll find it online. You won't find it in a local paper. So my question for the two of you then is, is this a genuine generational difference that has been you know, put into effect by the rise of social media? Or is just is local hard news something that you grow into as you, you know, buy low you know, you buy property, as you sort of become more dependent yeah. on local services? What do you think? And I suppose it is different in the US, but to what extent do we think that is something that is also almost an artificial generational difference? It's I mean, my take on that is it's it's almost an anthropological question, not a news question, right? It's <laughs> it's just about um, human human behavior and 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 Peter, as you were speaking, what what I was thinking about is, um, I mean, I think you're so right. It's the, I don't, I don't know that uh, we win as a news ecosystem if we focus on how we think people should consume content. <laughs> um, I think we we win if we focus on doing deep research and understanding how people want to uh, consume content, and uh, those there are going to be differences by uh, by all different types of of groups, and so. I think there's um, I think there's a lot of value in having kind of like <laughs> a profound relationship with reality, right? In terms of where uh, where people are going, what their expectations are. It's it's not. I don't know that it's about a disinterest in in knowing deeply <laughs> what's going on in one community. It's just that. We as human beings, we have varying identities, and and we we develop our identity through a bunch of different sources, and and I, I don't think it means that um, local is less relevant. I think it just it's just different. Chris, I think you I think you've got to the heart of every single issue with the yeah, <laughs> modern media that. landscape there <laughs> with that one phrase. We That's not just, just we local just news. Put that on a web page. <laughs> one of the things I would say is that there's there's two things going on here that I think is. One is good, one is bad. Mm. I think that actionable, almost service journalism, I think people will step into that gap quite easily. That's what 6AM City do, is doing. And I think local groups on Facebook and whatever will do that. So here's my local football team, or here's my local, uh, uh, I don't know, scouts, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, or whatever it is. That stuff will get done because people care passionately about the things that they're involved in. What won't get done, and this is the bad part, is is the kind of hard reporting on what, you know, on your asshole local councillors. Yeah. You know, and, and actually picking them up on the bad things they do, that investigative reporting, or, or actually it's not necessarily investigative reporting, it's just showing up to council meetings and listening to people talking utter nonsense. Yeah, yeah, I making think. sure that they know. 
they know that yeah. we know that they're talking crap. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I know so the mm. guys at Social Spy, the the Waltham Echo or Dispatch, I think it's called, they do that stuff. They mm. actually go to council meetings and report on that stuff, and that's really, really important. And it's that's not going to get picked up the same way, I don't think. No. So there is, if younger people are not involved in that sense, then that could become a problem from a that democratic deficit point of view. Just going to end my little section on a note of optimism, though. There's a really good Press Gazette article about why Bristol has become a oh, yeah, that. local news oasis, almost. And as part and parcel of that, they are talking about how younger people in Bristol, because they comprise you know a huge section of the population, you know, from students to it's quite a cosmopolitan area, so a lot of younger people like to move there, are genuinely supporting some of that hard news. Yeah. So there is there is hope here. It's just about finding a way to, you know, as Chris mentioned, find that roadmap and make it sort of more widely uh, applicable. But Chris, I am fascinated to hear about what you've chosen as your uh, key moment from the past year, because it just seems to cut to the heart of so much of what we're talking about when we talk about local news and how it funds itself. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked reading a report that came out of Lion, which is a, a U.S. based organization for um, for smaller news publications, and uh, the, their their research showed that the income of, you know, the revenue of these small organizations increased from 2020 to 2021. And the, the, the data showed that some of that increase was driven by contributions directly from the community. And I, I think that's really interesting. I mean, it, it goes back to what we were starting to talk about at the beginning, which is, you know, is this evidence that there is an increased understanding of we as consumers of news that news is hard to produce and uh, news requires uh, support and um, uh, supporting the business model in a variety of ways. So, I, th- I thought that was uh, I thought that was cool. We heard we heard similar sentiments from one of our moments as well that that we enjoyed. We did a community news summit in the U.S. Mm. Uh, just a, a couple of months ago and. Lots of great learnings came out of that. I was uh, what I what I liked hearing. Uh, what I thought was interesting is um, m- my career at Google actually started more in the in the ad side for for publishers, and so I have a, a bit of a soft spot for for ads. And the the digital advertising session at that community summit had uh, some of the, if not the highest ratings of any of the sessions. Mm. So all around the table, all have the potential to thrive. Nice. I wondered not to throw cold water on that, but obviously we've heard that there is potentially a, a global slowdown in ad spend coming over the next couple of years. We've had everyone from mine. So I'll say it. Zuckerberg's been saying it. Is local news poised to um, take advantage of that slowdown in sort of the kind of the smaller entrance into that space, or are we just as exposed to that as you know anybody? My observation, and from talking with publishers and uh, on a local level. Local marketers are still need to going to need to try to achieve their business goals, and local marketers are very interested in local publishers as marketing partners. And I think that is a bit shielded from some of the massive shifts that we see in programmatic advertising from major national and global advertisers. So I think it's a bit I think it's a bit different. In in some ways, I think smaller local publishers have an have an advantage there because they can provide connection to communities that some uh, larger publishers cannot. So I have some optimism in that regard. And based, Peter, based on the fact that you were nodding quite vigorously towards the end of that, yeah, that's something you no, share? I agree with that. Yeah, Thanks. because I think that kind of, well, we saw it during COVID, mm. the growth in that kind of local advertising. Um, and I think a lot of that is 
uh, it's almost a direct response advertising thing. It's like I see a restaurant, I book a table, or I or I need you know some kind of DIY supplies or whatever, and so I go to my local shop. And I think that is a different thing than whether some big brand wants to take a Super Bowl ad or whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think that's a very different kind of advertising. So my media moment, um, yeah, there were loads to pick from. I actually found this really hard to choose. Um, there was a really interesting report from the Charitable Journalism Project about how local Facebook groups are supplanting local newspapers as the default source of information in many British towns. Um, and I kind of thought, well, this must be happening in other countries as well, given the prevalence of Facebook. I know we discussed it a bit when it came out, the report came out at the time in um, on the podcast. Um, so, yeah... It, the, the report basically found that although consumers were sometimes describing these Facebook groups as toxic and racist, a lot of them said that they actually provided more up-to-the-minute information than, the, than their local newspaper. And it's things about, you know, traffic, building works, um, local events. People end up going to f- their Facebook groups for that. Um, I actually identify quite a lot with that because I, I definitely get all of our news, all of our local news from two groups. There's like a Eve from local and then one for our like tiny little village. Um and yeah, I find them really, really useful, and I find them, I find myself using them for exactly the same reasons that I would probably normally go to a local newspaper. Um, but our local newspaper is terrible. Um, but there's one example: uh, the town of Trowbridge in Wiltshire has forty-four thousand residents, and more than thirty thousand of them are in a single Facebook group. Um, and a lot of people in these Facebook groups, when they were asked, had commented that the new style of local journalism, which it had, which these Facebook groups had replaced was felt to be commercialised and on occasion damaging and divisive, which does feed into, I suppose, a lot of the stuff we've seen with the Reuters news report, um, things like that, where people are increasingly just feeling very, very mistrustful of this um, very sort of clickbaity, commercially driven content. Uh, in terms of what it means for publishers, I suppose, yeah, the people interviewed, they did really want a trusted source of local news. The demand is very much there, and I think that's why we see... Um, so many of the people we talked about, you know, here in the UK, we've got um, the Manchester Mill. I know we've mentioned quite a few of the um, US ones. People want the trusted source, but they either don't, ha- they either couldn't find it or have found current provision inadequate. So they're turning to these Facebook groups to sort of supply that. I suppose. Don't necessarily know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> Peter, yours. Um... You actually have more of a question, I suppose, than a medium moment from the past year, don't you? Always, always a question. <laughs> won't put the work, yeah. <laughs> won't put the work in to come up with a moment, but we'll ask a question. We'll never, we'll never suggest a solution. Just ask a question. Well, my my thing is, we we know that news avoidance is growing uh, everywhere in the states and in the UK, and probably more than anywhere else in the world. For for some would say obvious reasons, if you look at our politics. Um, oh I laugh but it's a nightmare (laughs) that that kind of news avoidance thing I don't think will be will be fixed by publishers certainly at a national level that are looking to sweat out as much profit as they can without putting any journalism effort in you know one so here's a great here's an example of why people are avoiding news right if you go on any local live website at the moment almost you will see um how that area will be affected by a nuclear strike from Russia. That's the laziest bullshit <laughs> journalism in the world. Um, and, I, you know, I can understand people avoiding that kind of news. <laughs> people don't How seek out like How is Sussex going to be affected yeah. by a nuclear strike on London? 
And so I wonder if local news can actually fill that void mm. because it's about, uh, you know, if you're fed up listening to stories about COVID or vaccines or whatever, or you're fed up listening to the politicians slag each other off and the war in Ukraine, that's all, it's hard to listen to a lot of that stuff. But if you're looking at more positive local news, you know, the idea is that, well, some good stuff's going on in this area. And uh, um, 6 a.m. City is a great example of that, you know, where he's talking about, Ryan Heafy was talking about that, avoiding the partisanship, but talking about how you can get involved in a park cleanup, how you can get involved in supporting your local rotary, whatever it is. And then that's much more positive. It's still that democratic deficit, I think. Mm. But there's loads of examples. I was at that conference I was at in Edinburgh. There was a govern, magazine called Govern Hill, which is amazing. They, they publish, like, that community has something like 28 languages in it. And it's yeah. not a massive area. And they get involved with all these different groups, ethnic groups and whatever. And there's this real community spirit around that publication. And the, the one that I was trying to remember the name, Waltham Forest Echo, they're actually getting involved properly in council meetings and stuff. So there's all this stuff going on. Chicago Sun-Times, I said, has just dropped its paywall, is now a non-profit. Um, and, and, you know, weird stories, like there's a retirement area in Florida called The Villages, who prints more copies of their paper than than the local paper in the in the the Atlanta metro area? They've got a population of one hundred and thirty thousand, um, and the Atlanta metro metro area is six million. And the, these guys in Florida print more copies of their paper. Mm. You know, so there's all these stories that are like, yeah, that gets back to what Chris says, I guess, about the passion for the community. Right back to that. So can that get people engaged in news again? Hopefully. Um, but I think for publishers, it means that you've got to kind of kind of put scale to one side. We've been banging on about that for forever. <laughs> well, we've been banging on um, about that for, yeah, medium moments, 2029. 20, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I had some optimism there that, yeah, I think local news providers are in a, in a, in a prime position to rebuilt some trust that has trust uh, been lost yeah. and it, it really is about that and uh, providing authoritative quality content and uh, journalism because I mean, let's face it there have been many studies that show that there's been a decrease of uh, and trust in news I was I was speaking with a, a professor at a, a US University a, f- a few weeks ago and um, and they said uh, that there's a big problem here. Like, the, where's the next generation of of new of journalists going to come from? They said that uh, they had an advanced journalism class that had three people in it. Oh, Christ! Right? I mean, think about that. Like, that is, yeah. and and that's not just because people aren't aware of news as a viable career. It's it's there's something else under there. Mm. Probably a lot of things. And so I uh, I think local news providers, like I said, just that have. Uh, probably a greater opportunity and ability than most to truly build trust in their among their users. And we will definitely talk about that when we do our session on trust, because uh, that's one of the things we always talk about in our Media Moments 2022 report, or rather Media Moments Every Year report. But for now, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to have that conversation. It was a whistle-stop tour through everything to do with local news, and we could have spoken <laughs> about every single one of those issues. 
in depth for the entire hour. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on. If anybody wants to connect with you, where's the best place for them to do so? LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. There's another Chris Jansen out there who is the CEO of uh, Kantar Research. So make sure you find the right one um, because it's been confusing because I used to work at Kantar. So <laughs> it's been yeah, quite confusing enough. for a number of people. But if, if I could just leave your, your listeners with one thing, if, if you're, if you're a, a journalist, if you're a news organization or planning to become one of those two things and you're wondering, here's a challenge I have. Is there any way that Google can be helpful? Please assume the answer is yes. Uh, through a variety, I mean, programs, products, and and partnerships, we uh, we're in it for for the long haul. We want to be helpful. Uh, thanks to membership and subscription suite Pool for sponsoring this season of the Media Voices podcast and our upcoming Media Moments 2022 report. Their all-in-one platform helps publishers convert, manage, and retain their members and subscribers. You can find out more about them at pool.tech, that's p-triple-o-l.tech, and we'll link to them from our show notes at voices.media. And don't forget, you can pre-register to download the Media Moments 2022 report by going to voices.media slash mm22. But for now, thank you so much. Next week, we're going to be looking at how the subscriptions market has changed in 2022. Chris, we could just as well have got you in to talk about that <sighs> and what publishers have done to adapt to challenging conditions. But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.